Welcome back. It's Dr. Mark McCullough with another discussion on Dante's Inferno, this time Canto 13, The Wood of Suicides, translated by Mark Musa. I'll give a brief summary of that before I read, uh, and this summary was written uh, by uh, Dorothy Sayers from her translation of Dante. The Story. The poets enter a pathless wood. Here harpies sit shrieking among the withered trees which enclose the souls of suicide. Pierre Delvine tells Dante his story and also explains how these shades come to be changed into trees and what will happen to their bodies at the last day. The shades of two prolificates rush through the wood, pursued and torn by black hounds. Dante speaks to a bush containing the soul of a Florentine. Not yet had Nisus reached the other side when we were on our way into a forest that was not marked by any path at all. No green leaves, but rather black in color. No smooth branches, but twisted and entangled. No fruit, but thorns of poison bloomed instead. No thick, rough, scrubby home like this exists, not even between Cecina and Carnito, for those wild beasts that hate the run of farmlands. Here the repulsive harpies twine their nests, who drove the Trojans from the Strophades with filthy forecasts of their close disaster. Wide-winged they are, with human necks and faces, their, f their feet are clawed, their bellies fat and feathered. Perched in the tree they shriek their strange laments. Before we go on farther, my guard began, Remember, you are in the second round, and shall be till we reach the dreadful sand. Now look around you carefully and see with your own eyes what I will not describe. For if I did, you wouldn't believe my words. Around me wails of grief were echoing, and I saw no one there to make those sounds. Bewildered by all this, I had to stop. I think perhaps he thought I might be thinking that all the voices coming from those stumps belonged to people hiding there from us. And so my teacher said, If you break off a little branch of any of these plants, what you are thinking now will break off too. Then, slowly, raising up my hand a bit, I snapped the tiny branch of a great thorn bush. And its trunk cried, Why are you tearing me? And when its blood turned dark around the wound, it started saying more. Why do you rip me? Have you no sense of pity whatsoever? Men were we once. Now we have changed to scrub. But even if we had been souls of serpents, your hand should have shown more pity than it did. Like a green log burning at one end only, sputtering at the other, oozing sap and hissing with the air it forces out. So from the splintered trunk a mixture poured of words and blood. I let the branch I held fall from my hand, and stood there, stiff with fear. O wounded soul, my sage replied to him, if he had only let himself believe what he had read in verses I once wrote, he never would have raised his hand against you, but the truth itself was so incredible, I urged him on to do the thing that grieves me. But tell him who you were. He can make amends and will by making bloom again your fame in the world above, where his return is sure.
and the trunk. So appealing are your lovely words, I must reply. Be not displeased if I am lured into a little conversation. I am that one who held both of the keys that fitted Frederick's heart. I turned them both, locking and unlocking, with such finesse that I let few into his confidence. I was so faithful to my glorious office, I lost not only sleep, but life itself. That courtesan who constantly surveyed Caesar's household with her adulterous eyes, mankind's undoing, the special vice of courts, inflamed the hearts of everyone against me, and these inflamed, inflamed in turn Augustus, and my happy honors turned to sad laments. My mind, moved by scornful satisfaction, believing death would free me from all scorn, made me unjust to me who was all just. By these strange roots of my own tree I swear to you that never once did I break faith with my Lord, who was so worthy of all honor. If one of you should go back into the world, restore the memory of me, who here remains cut down by the blow that envy gave. My poet paused a while, and then said to me, Since he is silent now, don't lose your chance. Ask him if there is more you wish to know. Why don't you keep on questioning, I said, and ask him for my part which I would ask, for I cannot. Such pity chokes my heart. He began again that this man may fulfill generously what your words cry out for. In prison, soul, may it please you to continue by telling us just how a soul gets bound into these knots, and tell us, if you know, whether any soul might someday leave its branches. At that the trunk breathed heavily, and then the breath changed to a voice that spoke these words. Your question will be answered very briefly. The moment that the violent soul departs the body it has torn itself away from, Minos sends it down to the seventh hole. It drops to the wood, not in a place allotted, but anywhere that fortune tosses it. There, like a grain of spelt, it germinates, soon springs into a sapling, then a wild tree. At last the harpies feasting on its leaves create its pain, and for the pain an outlet. Like the rest, we shall return to claim our bodies, but never again to wear them. Wrong it is for a man to have again what he once cast off. We shall drag them here, and all along the mournful forest. Our bodies shall hang forevermore, each one on a thorn of its own alien shade. We were standing still attentive to the trunk, thinking perhaps it might have more to say, when we were startled by a rushing sound, such as the hunter hears from where he stands, first the boar, then all the chase approaching, the crash of hunting dogs and branches smashing. Then to the left of us appeared two shapes, naked and gnashed, fleeing with such rough speed, they tore away from them the bushes' branches. The one ahead, Come on, come quickly, death! 
The other, who could not keep up the pace, screamed, Lano, your legs were not so nimble when you jousted in the tournament of Topo. And then, from the lack of breath, perhaps, he slipped into a bush and wrapped himself in thorns. Behind these two, the wood was overrun by packs of black bitches, ravenous and ready, like hunting dogs just broken from their chains. They sank their fangs into that poor wretch, who hid, they ripped him open piece by piece, and then ran off with mouthfuls of his wretched limbs. Quickly my escort took me by the hand, and led me over to the bush that wept, its, ve its vain laments from every bleeding sore. O oh, Giacomo de Sant'Andrea, it said, what good was it for you to hide in me? What fault have I if you led an evil life? My master standing over and inquired, Who were you once, that now through many wounds breathes a grieving sermon with your blood? He answered us, O oh, souls who have just come in time to see this unjust mutilation that has separated me from all my leaves, gather them round the foot of this sad bush. I was from the city that took the Baptist in exchange for her first patron. Patron, who for this swears by his art, she will have endless sorrow. And were it not that on the Arno's bridge some vestige of his image still remains, those citizens who built anew the city on the ashes that Attila left behind would have accomplished such a task in vain. I turned my home into my hanging place. I turned my home into my hanging place. That last line by the Florentine suicide um, is, is an encapsulation of violence, according to Dante, which is the uh, taking your home, your body, and uh, turning your body against itself. Um, so that's a very powerful uh, way of concluding the canto um, by this uh, figure who is unidentified, but we know he's from Florence uh, because he described um, making the uh, switch from the god Mars to uh, uh, St. John the Baptist, who was the patron saint of the city of Florence. So there's a lot to cover here. This is, um, every time I read a canto, I'm like, hey, this is my favorite one. This is a pretty good one. There's a lot here. Um, I'd like to take a look at some of the language in the opening stanzas. I then uh, will we'll turn our attention to the wood of suicide, how it's described, the harpies, what they, what these half, half beast, half humans um, are doing here and then turn our attention to the uh, second part of, of uh, Canto, uh, which is um, Piers' bloody words to Dante, both his um, oration and, um, and then his uh, response to Dante's question, or Virgil's question, rather, on how the wood of suicides operates. And then finally, to look at this um, suicide uh, and to the spendthrifts and, um, and to the hunters and the language that's there used to in the end with the with the hounds and the ripping apart of those of those um individuals so let's start with uh with the opening now i was i was uh, tempted to read another translation today um but muses is just so good because he really points out the negative language of the opening stanzas in fact the first three stanzas began with the word 
uh, either no or not. So he says not yet. And then further in line four, no green leaves, uh, no smooth branches, no fruit. And then in line seven, no thick, uh, rough, scrubby home like this exists. So, um, and Musa says in his footnotes that this is this is Dante's intention here to begin with the negative, um, in order to emphasize the negative that is to come, the the, the violence of, against self and suicide. So it's it's um, it's it's quite lovely. Um, some other translations don't have that nearly as clear, at least the ones that I looked at, in, which include the Sayers and the Hollander. Um, those, uh, those translations both start with an emphasis on Nessus, who is the figure that um, helps Dante and Virgil across the ford from our last uh, Canto, Canto 12. So, um, wonderful way of starting off this translation by emphasizing the no um, in three of these stanzas here and uh, get a load of um of hollander's translation of the second stanza he writes or he translates dante's words here no green leaves but those of dusky hue not a straight branch but knotted and contorted no fruit of any kind but poisonous thorns and then compare that to musa no green leaves but rather black in color no smooth branches, but twisted and entangled. No fruit, but thorns of poison bloomed instead. Uh, so, so this is, uh, again, one of these places where translators, I'm sure, had a real fun time um, describing uh, or at least capturing the words that help describe the wood of suicide. And, and the wood of suicides is actually quite... Um, quite evocative through this language of negation, lack of fruit, like um, such that um, the, uh, the description that is to come of those uh, damned who themselves lack fruit um, that are simply just uh, branches. And um, the emphasis here is on the, 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 the symbol of, uh, of, of individuals who are damned who literally turn into bushes, into these trees, bushes, and, um, and do not have a body um, unless the body uh, that will return at the um, last judgment will then hang alongside the tree, which is a kind of another contrapasso, which is deeply ironic, right? Those, those who committed suicide will not, no longer have their bodies, but their bodies will hang alongside them, um, and itself a a picture of hanging, a picture of a, a popular, um, be a popular uh, suicide uh, technique um, to choke to choke off one's oxygen, um, and so the harpies here as well. These half um, these hideous harpies are like half women, half beasts. These are bird-like creatures. And uh, m much of their, the emphasis on the harpies here are from uh, Virgil himself, who describes uh, these harpies in his own poetic work, the Aeneid. So to uh, the initial breaking off of the, uh, of, of the branch, which uh, any, any commentator worth his or her uh, you know, weight and salt will, will suggest that 
this is an allusion, a direct allusion from the Aeneid, the, the third book of the Aeneid, where Aeneas breaks off a branch from a shrub and begins to pour forth blood. And then uh, we know that Polydorius, who uh, w is buried there as well. And it's a, it's a, a poignant moment in uh, Virgil's Aeneid be, uh, because Aeneas here in Book 3 is looking for a place to found Rome, and he comes upon uh, this, this, these woods, and he finds this kind of damned or kind of, you know, uh, demonic land uh, where there are, it's already been um, marked with uh, some kind of violence and with, um, uh, with uh, an inappropriateness uh, for building his own city. So, um, so he needs to, he leaves, right? He, he, in book three, he does not found Rome there and, and needs to leave. And so there's this moment of pathos between the spirit of Polydorus, who is sort of trapped in this, in this branch or in this bush and Aeneas. And you get that same, um, you get that same pathos with Pierre and Dante, um, all, um, all thanks to, to Virgil's own invention, which Dante here is alluding to. I want to say a little bit more about the harpies. There's, um, of course, they are, uh, Virgil had placed them at the uh, mouth of the underworld in the Aeneid. And so, as I suggested, this is a callback. Um, but they are also, um, they're also often in mythology uh, depicted as winged women birds with women's heads and sharps claws and they were known to carry off uh, children and souls um, and they're particularly um, they're they're particularly used um, in mythology or they occur in mythology as a, as a kind of a, a force that makes a man mad right that, that drives a person crazy very much like the furies that we saw earlier um, in in the inferno so too do these harpies um, produce a situation in which uh, there's madness is, is certainly um, uh, not not far behind. So let's turn our attention now to Pierre, who is the uh, who is the suicide um, that uh, Dante and Virgil speak to here. Um, of course, Virgil uh, suggests to Dante that he he take off uh, a part of the branch, and so Pierre. It says, ah, you know, why are you tearing at me? He says in line 33. And um, and then his blood begins to congeal there, this dark blood around the womb, and says, have you no sense of pity? And Virgil justifies such a such a, a, a violence against the violent here uh, by, by saying, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to, him to know, I wanted him to see that you were indeed once a man. And it says, oh, wounded soul, if you'd, if you'd read my my book, he would have never done it, um, but I asked him to. Um, and, and Virgil does this, uh, does this kind of flattery uh, uh, because uh, he, Virgil knows uh, human nature very well. He knows that if he flatters, um, if he flatters Pierre, he knows that Pierre will tell him the story that Dante needs to hear. So Virgil will say, you know, um, in line 52, tell him who you were. He can make amends and will by making bloom again your fame in the world above, where his return is sure. So indicating that Dante's Dante's pilgrimage is um, is guided by divine uh, divine justice. He will make it back 
but also playing into uh, Pierre's kind of um, uh, sense of his own um, his own fame, his own fama, his own reputation back on Earth. And um, this is a classical trope as well. We see any any engagement in the under uh, underworld in either Homer or Virgil, and the souls that are trapped there um, in the underworld are are fascinated by their remaining fame back on Earth. It's all they have. So by, you know, by tempting uh, Pierre to tell his story with uh, a promised fame, Pierre gives in to that. And the, um, the, the way in which Pierre uh, addresses this is quite, is quite, um, is quite sophisticated. He, he sh- uh, Pierre, through, he, through his language, through his um, description, uh, it, it shows us how sophisticated he was back on Earth. Um, he was a, he was part of the court, and he was able to, uh, to manipulate others uh, through his language. And um, so, this kind of uh, what what I called beforehand, like an oration, is a kind of an oration. And um, he he in 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 there are three ways or four way four uh, parts to this oration. He he sort of captures. Um, Dante and uh, Virgil, he says, you know, um, oh, these are lovely words, um, and please do not be, uh, you know, don't get upset if I start to uh, go a little off, um, uh, go a little off uh, uh, the, uh, on a tangent here. Um, so he captures the goodwill of his audience. He also just narrates the events as they are presented, and then he makes sort of a climactic, in line 73, he makes this climactic point. Um he says, um, by these strange roots of my own tree, I swear to you that I never once did I break faith with my Lord, who is so worthy of his honor. So this nice little climatic point comes out and tells uh, both men that um, that he is not responsible uh, for what happened to him. And then finally, in, in line, starting in line 76, uh, he, he returns back to this promise. Uh, this, he petitions his, his, um, his audience to... Um, to, to when they return, make sure to restore the memory. He says in line 77, restore the memory of me. So uh, this oration appears, it, it both uh, shows us how important he was back on, back on earth, how uh, sophisticated his words were, how much of a man of a court he was. He was Frederick II's like, kind of right-hand man. Um, and also it, it shows us of the seductiveness, I think, of the lie uh, that he tells. Now Dante, of course, is uh, reclaimed as we, you know, it's like a, he's all tightened up because he's pitying. He's 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 so overwhelmed with with this oration that he can't he can hardly speak. And when he does speak, he uh, passes the the ball back to Virgil and says, "Will you ask him questions? I I've got so much pity that chokes my heart." You've seen pity in its use in the in in past cantos, and I suggested in those discussions that pity is always a danger in hell. We're not supposed to pity. It shows a kind of wavering of our moral disposition, and 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 Virgil warns against it. Now, um, Musa has an interesting footnote in his translation that we're not supposed to think of this pity in the same way we were, say, with um, Francesca and Paolo in Canto Five. He says that the, the Dante's pity is not so much with the um, with the suicide 
uh, that Pierre uh, uh, makes, um, but rather with the with the injustice, the injustice uh, that Pierre um, uh, uh, experiences. The injustice being, of course, that he was slandered and then uh, and then thrown into jail and eventually executed for his crime. Uh, and a crime he did not commit. And so Musa makes the point here that um, Dante uh, believed um, Pierre to be innocent, the man himself to be innocent of the crimes that were um, that were levied against him by the court. Um, and uh, and and there's there's truth to that. I, but I would also suggest that even in Pierre's uh, oration up to this point, there is a seduction. There is a kind of deception. And the deception is, that somehow um, he uh, believed himself just. This is a, the most beautiful passage is lines 70 through 73 or 72, where here says, My mind moved by scornful satisfaction, believing death would free me from all scorn, made me unjust to me who was all just. Now, I won't read that again. I could read it a couple times because it's so great. Uh, it's a kind of sentence that backs around and eats itself, like one of those snakes that eats its own tail. So what do we see there? What we see is that Pierre understands that he, that his, um, that, that his suicide was, um, was in some sense wrong, right? Being unjust. So me this made me unjust to me. So he, there's a recognition here on the part of this damned soul, and it's not always there in the inferno as we've seen, that the damned kind of know they made a mistake. All right, so there's, there's a sense in line 72 in which Pierre seems to indicate that he understands what he did. However, remember uh, the line before that, which is believing death would free me from all scorn. Now, what does that mean? What is believing death would free me from all scorn? Well, in a sense, that's a form of pride, is it not? It's a form of pride that believes that the suic that suicide would help his reputation, and would help him uh, uh, would help him escape any um, kind of social um, stigma that he that may come upon him. So, we think of this um, these kinds of uh, stigma like um, in in cultures where um, you. you like I think to myself of Japanese culture in which you lose your job and and you commit Harry Carry, because you can't you, you can't you know endure the the kind of social stigma, um, not just the loss of not just the loss of um, you know of, of finances, but uh, and and certainly not a kind of depression that we may have discussed. Um, I'm sorry that that we may discuss in terms of like just the mental mental illness. This is a this is a desire to escape um, some kind of scorn, some something. Um, and so, wouldn't we say too that he's being prideful? That his that that it shows that he's uh, being pride prideful. Um, and he's, there's also the the word that Musa decides to translate. So he says, "My mind moved by scornful satisfaction." It's an interesting use of the word moved. Um, uh, Hollander uh, has the word made me. So my mind in scornful temper, hoping by dying to escape from scorn, made me. All right. Kind of a 
and in both those cases made or moved there's compulse there's like a compulsion um there is a lack of free will uh let's see if i can find longfellow's uh, translation of this quickly didn't have it really um queued up um uh, but he says, yeah, made me unjust. So Longfellow, in his translation of 66, says, My spirit in disdainful exaltation, thinking by, dying to es- thinking by dying to escape disdain, made me unjust against myself, the just. So uh, pride, right? A sense, uh, a sense of pride. Also a, a moment, of, um, a moment of, of, of passivity in the face of something larger, in this case, reputation. And it reminds us of Francesca's same point, that she was put into motion in a passive sense by her, uh, by her love, that the man she fell in lust with was the one who kissed her, who compelled her, who pushed her. And so in both of these, conf- we would say confessions, right, to Dante, these damned are, are saying, it wasn't me. It was me and it wasn't me. Um, which, which I think is, is, is kind of phenomenologically like actually the experience of, um, of, 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 of a kind of sin, right? A kind of uh, a mark on self where there is a, uh, there is a, there, there is a feeling of that a, a choice was made, but, but the choice, not just in memory, but in act, is passive. So the word made, or in, in, in uh, Muse's sense, the, the, the motion or the moved me, my mind moved me uh, to do such a thing, is, is so fascinating. And like the snake eating its own tail, it's, yes, you're acknowledging that which was wrong. It appears that he has self-consciousness about it. But does he really? Does he really? And if, 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 there, is a, if there is a kind of a... a of an inkling here of his disavowing his own act and and then Dante follows that by pitying him we're right back where Dante was before whereas he's falling back into uh, a kind of pity for the damned which is <clears throat> a sense of, of, of moral um, you know sort of a more moral wavering on his part and then Virgil has to go ahead and <clears throat> sorry ask uh, the question um, that then Pierre uh, comes back and answered. So I'm interested in hearing what you think. If 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 you know you wanna uh, you know uh, make a, make a comment um, about that, uh, I would love I would love to hear it in your own interpretation of this passage, whether or not um, Pierre recognizes his own uh, uh, fault, uh, or whether he's still here in in eternal damnation, still justifying it, and therefore Dante again fails to see and to and to not be choked by pity so pierre answers the question uh that virgil asks him um about this circle of hell this area in hell where the suicides come and remember that we're in the in 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 the circle of violence we're in the the area in which violence against self today and then we'll in two couple of weeks we'll take on uh, uh, more forms of violence against others and uh, against God. And here it's violence against self. And so Virgil asks Pierre to explain to Dante how it works. What's the mechanism by which 
uh, you were judged. So Pierre uh, uh, answers this question. It's a question he probably doesn't want to really answer. He even says at the beginning of it, um, it'll be answered very briefly. And he sighs. Uh, he has this deep, like, exhalation there as if to... Um, as if to really suggest the pain and suffering that he's in and to recall the pain and suffering that he's presently in seems to be uh, quite painful. So he, he describes this, um, this uh, horrific way in which the damned after the suicide drops into a kind of randomness um, after Minos sends it to the seventh hole. And he says in line 97, it, the, that is the body, the moment the violent soul departs, oh, I'm sorry, the, it is the soul. The soul drops to the wood, not in a place allotted, but anywhere that fortune tosses it, and there it grows. So this is horrifying because there is no, there is no place in the place. There's the, there's the general place of where all the suicides go, but within that space, it's random. There's a randomness to it. Um, I like to compare this randomness with the control that Pierre attempts to make uh, by committing suicide. His committing suicide is a form of control and pride uh, to um, uh, to exact almost a kind of uh, uh, I wouldn't say revenge, but to 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 at least balance or redress the injustice, the very real injustice that he experienced. So this randomness of the of the soul just falls anywhere fortune tosses it. And then it'll start to spring and it'll grow in that random place and the harpies uh, will be part of the uh, be part of the pain and suffering of the damned, right? They will they will feast on its leaves. They will eat of the leaves that grow uh, from this soul um, and um, and then a sort of uh, the, the, then the outlet, the pain and then the outlet for the pain is created there. And he ends by saying here that he'll never reclaim the bodies, but uh, I'm sorry, will reclaim the bodies, uh, but not wear them. And this is where the body will hang off the tree, like a like a, a hanging, a, sui a suicide. Even a picture of a, of a kind of uh, uh, the horrible pictures we had from the south of lynching, where the where the body is sort of hanging off the tree. And so in those in those kinds of in images that Dante. Uh, paints for us and he presents for us in the contrapasso that is the that is the suffering that is appropriate or the, the the consequence which is appropriate to to the sin or a picture of the sin we get um, an actual um, kind of silhouette of a suicidal act itself after this after Pierre ends his his description of the um, the, the beautiful and horrifying economy of of this circle uh, our attention is turned to another group of souls, the prolificates. And um, the violence that the prolificates are guilty of is not against their bodies, but against their earthly goods. And these two prolificates are represented by um, uh, Lano uh, and uh, Giacomo um, from Padua. And um, you can read some of the... Um, uh, some of the commentary and your translation. I'm sure there's uh, some good ones. I won't get into them here. But what do you believe the um, dogs mean here? These um, these dogs that pursue the prolificates. Um, 
this has you know invited a lot of interpretation. A lot of ink has been spilt over this one too. But you know, I think it's I think the dogs represent a kind of violence itself, right? That these um, uh, that that those who are violent are pursued by violence, and I think this ties in really nicely with the um, with the problem of violence, which is that its use, regardless of whether or not it looks. Um, uh, Regardless of how violence is used, whether that 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 intention is good, often um, violence comes back uh, to um, uh, to haunt and even eventually damn uh, those who use it. And so these dogs are kind of chasing them throughout the forest, and we get this horrific scene of of one of them being ripped apart. And so um, and so violence begets violence. Um, and we, Dante's unique take on, you know, how our misuse of earthly goods is, is um, one might even push it to say, morally equivalent to suicide. And we've discussed already the, um, the anonymous Florentine suicide who makes this nice um, uh, conclusion at the end of the canto. Um, but I will, I will say that when I taught this... Um, at the university level, there was a there was a sense in which one needed to sort of counter the fears of people who were reading it, thinking that Dante was condemning all suicide. And we know that's just not the case because we'll see later in Dante where suicides will be, um, if if not rewarded, at least not damned. We've already seen it in the figure of Dido in Canto Five. She's she committed suicide, and yet she is being. Uh, that she is, uh, she's been placed in in the uh, the circle of incontinence or the circle of lust. There, so I have to tell my students. Well, we you know we understand that the um, that that suicide itself, the act of suicide itself, does not constitute the um, the condemnation that Dante here is giving it, um, and that Pierre's kind of uh, his reaction to an injustice is itself unjust, right? Um, and it's not born of depression or born of even kind of a courage that we might say the Stoic might, um, a Stoic might uh, portray. Um, and we'll, we'll, again, we'll see that later in Dante, but, but rather a, 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 lack of, a lack of courage, a misunderstanding, and kind of a lie about how one's fame and one's, uh, one's um, reputation on earth is most important, is more important, let's say, than... Um, than, than life itself. And so, you know, I see a lot of students be, be very, oh, that's, that's nice to know, because um, I don't want to be too medieval about all of this. But I, I do think we should also be careful um, in just a, giving, uh, giving this sort of a, a free pass to this as well, because, um, y- you know, this, this is a great gift that we're given as our bodies, and, um, and we ought not to waste them. We not, ought not to use them in ways that they were we weren't intended for, and I think that's the 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 what Dante is saying about violence here is that we should be very very uh, careful about violence against our own bodies and against what has uh, been given to us, just as we are careful about what earthly goods were given, so too uh, our body. Well, that's it for this week. I'll be back uh, in 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 uh, in, a, in a bit to discuss Canto fourteen and. Um, as always, um, let me know if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, and um, 
uh, let others know about this about this um, about the this recorded lecture and this podcast and um, spread the word on this. Uh, love to have uh, more people listening and um, would definitely love to hear from those of you who are enjoying um, my unpacking of, of Dante's Inferno.